This episode of AVXL was recorded on November 5th, 2020. We're going to talk about a big fire in Japan, broken 2.1 AVRs, the uh, joys of setting up a new home theater, Amazon Music's quality problem. Well, I may not get into that, but it's pissing me off, people, and quite a bit more. Don't forget, email ask at AVXL.com if you got a question for us. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And the audio in my life has been mad, and I mean that in the best possible way. Good. Madness is appreciated once in a while. I've talked about them. I, I, I got in a, a, a new set of tower speakers, uh, these full tower uh the, the Golden Ear uh, Triton 2 Plus, which have built-in subwoofers, and I got a center channel going, and you know I'm in the process of, of getting my Atmos upper channels sorted out and getting everything finalized. But it was so amazing because the Mandalorian started, which I love, and it had my favorite sort of reveal of a character I love from another series, or an actor I love from another series. I'll just say Timothy Oliphant and leave it there the Mandalorian season two, it was amazing because the, the first time we saw the Mandalorian was on this little 42 inch TCL TV that was living in the RV with us, which I have nothing but good things to say about, but it was incredible to hear this soundtrack off a full range set of speakers with some power. Nice. It is amazing how much you miss, right? Because, you know, these are there's more stereo separation. Even even we've talked about this like a billion times. Even just going to, you know, a, a sound bar or a set of stereo speakers uh, is a huge improvement. But it was just it was really fun to listen to all of these sounds that were pretty much lost um, in the, you know, adequate, functional, but, you know, essentially tiny and underpowered speakers that are built into the television set. So I'm just saying. External stereo speakers are the first big step. I agree. I'm looking up right now. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they have that both in Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. And oh yeah, I believe my per, uh, subscription to Disney Plus is still active. And that is honestly probably the only thing I have watched on Disney Plus personally. I, I'm totally <laughs> wasting an account here on uh, just simply watching mandalorian <laughs> seasons one and two i may go back and actually rewatch season one again for season two my but. boys have discovered the simpsons uh, oh. which has been amusing oh my because it's well it's amazing to realize how many cultural references they stuff into a given show especially in like that first decade you know where you you have everything from like 1940s movies to shakespeare to you know it's just it's it's fascinating it's the gateway to south park that's what the simpsons <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not ready for South Park yet. I'm oh, not no. ready for the fallout from that. Not oh, yet. Oh, my goodness. Uh, if you've been thinking about buying a new uh, DAC, a digital analog converter, you may want to buy sooner rather than later. And we'll talk about buying sooner rather than later a little bit more in a minute. But uh, uh, I have the title on this story. Speaking of 2020 dumpster fires, AKM Semiconductor Factory burns. Um, Asahai Kasai Microsystems, that's AKM. This is a tough one for me. Nobioka City, I believe is how you say that. Uh, but essentially, uh, the primary semiconductor factory for high-end DACs and I believe ADCs for AKM burned for three days, uh, like 82 hours. Um, upside, no injuries. This is a plan with 400 employees. I got everybody else and the thing burned for 82 hours. They make high-end DACs and ADCs for consumer and pro audio. 
JDS Labs, who's, you know, a, a company I love, uses their stuff, shit uses their stuff. There's dozens of companies, uh, both in professional audio and consumer audio, that use uh, these digital analog converters. I believe most of the AKM DACs by consumer audio companies were made at this plant, which means at some point there will be shortages. Uh, AKM may be moving to independent fabs to pick up the production. We don't really know what the timing on that might be. This plant is certainly going to be offline for a considerable amount of time because it pretty much burned uh, all the way through. A lot of manufacturers, for example, JDS Labs, uh, keeps like six months inventory on hand. Uh, others that are more piecemeal, I think things are going to be tight. And I want to remind everybody that if, if you're thinking about buying headphones or speakers or home theater gear or a projector or television, uh, as much as we always tell you to wait and pounce on the best prices for holiday 2020, you may want to start shopping a little earlier than you I usually do. Agree with that. Given the supply issues we've seen this year, AVRs, televisions, projectors, computer parts, computer parts, headphones, supplies are vastly better than they were this summer. But holiday buying is holiday buying. And uh, if, if you are hanging Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or however you celebrate the winter solstice on having a particular object for yourself or your family, you might want to reach out earlier rather than later on picking stuff up. Speaking Just of which, saying. the LG OLED, the 55-inch CX model at least, has hit a new low of, after a coupon on Amazon right now, $1,350, which is great, and about Whoa. $150 cheaper than the 48-inch model. <laughs> so... See that price again? <laughs> $1,350 for the 55-inch. Uh, right now, the 65-inch is about $1,900 for the CX model and about $3,500 for the 77-inch. But the 48-inch has so much demand for it that it now costs mm -hmm. about $150 more with current pricing than the 55-inch model. People are buying up the 48-inch OLEDs for use as ultimate PC displays, <laughs> a 4K monitor. Or that's the room you have, and that's one of the best displays you could throw down. I was actually looking this. at the 55-inch GX model that's about two millimeters thick. It's made to be literally mm -hmm. placed flat against a wall like a piece of art. And it, instead of having a little bulge at the bottom like the CX does and being an ultra-thin panel at the top, the right. GX has a uniform thickness and with a specialized bracket that it comes with. So it literally sucks itself to the wall and looks like it is built right in slurp for a good look. But at, I believe, 55 inches with current pricing and that sale price in the CX model, it was about $500 more. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's like, do you really <laughs> like how that looks or would you rather have $500 cash? And I was like, either way. But you're right. Uh, for 2020, for this, for the rest of this year, if you know there is a certain item in your wish list, I would start shopping sooner than later. Yeah, I think we're we're definitely agreed on that. ATSC 3.0, the next gen of broadcast television. Yeah, baby. How are you feeling about that? In hand, <laughs> it has arrived. Uh, the HD oh, Home Run really? Quattro 4K. This is their network-enabled over-the-air tuner. It incorporates four tuners. Two of them are for the new next-gen standard, a.k.a. ATSC-3, as well as two mm -hmm. tuners that are compatible with the current ATSC standard. And, well, it's not looking good, at least, for my immediate satisfaction using this product here in the Bay Area. And if you look at the map for the ATSC.org website in terms of the 
TV deployments for next gen TV. It is uh, sporadic at best. So you may want to wait until your part of the map is filled in before you make an investment. But this is the very first, at least standalone ATSC three slash next gen TV tuner that I'm aware of that you can currently get. I plan to incorporate this into the local network and then simply use a device like a Roku or another streaming product through the app from Home Run or even through other products in terms of viewing recorded content. I am just happy to actually have it in hand. I ordered a brand new antenna. I'm currently still rocking a, uh, a channel master design that I really like uh, for a flat antenna design. They have something called the Smart Tenna Plus. It is a unique powered antenna that has multiple elements in it that will cycle itself to find the best configuration for your particular location. It does like a channel scan right when you first plug it in and it comes up with one of its seven presets that can uh, provide the best signal quality. I was looking for a different antenna for doing the 4K reception with NextGen when it becomes available in my area. So I ended up going through Wirecutter and picked whatever their best antenna was to get in for testing. It was one model I have not seen before, and I was just curious about it, so I took a chance on it. The Clearstream Eclipse TV antenna. I picked that up via the good folks at Wirecutter. 40 bucks for their 35 mile range version. I'll plug that in and set it up and see if maybe somebody's running a test signal here in my local area. I have the tuner, but I have no signal. And just speaking of which, if you have a TV and most have tuners built into them, and if you need just something to plug in, Channel Master has a delightful $10 antenna that you can pick up. As, as a good starting point, just plug it in to see if you receive anything and then scale up your needs accordingly if uh, that becomes something you want to get into. But realize that some of these flat antenna designs you can pick up pretty cheap just to get started or to just see if it's going to work for you at all. In other cheerful news, uh... <laughs> oh man, quote, it looks like every AVR using an HDMI 2.1 chipset from Nuviton which is pretty much everybody that's offering 8K pass-through video models, has some issues with breaking HDMI 2.1. It What's up is with that? nuts. All of the new receivers that we have seen announcing something that is like, oh, 4K 120 support or 8K pass-through, they all apparently are using a similar chipset from a company called Panasonic Solutions, now owned by Nuviton. This bug apparently affects the way that HDMI 2.1's fixed rate link, or FRL, how it works. And unfortunately, it seems that these early problems, in particular with folks using the Xbox Series X or the 30 series cards from NVIDIA through HDMI's 2.1 AVRs out there, it's not working properly at the full max bandwidth where you're trying to do say 4K 120 through your console or your graphics card. When you try to do that, it apparently just gives you a black screen. It is not at this point, something that can be fixed with a mere firmware update. It's gonna require, I don't know, uh, probably something from the devices themselves in terms of drivers or updates that may enable other ways of doing the signaling that is compatible. Apparently with the release of Sony's new PlayStation 5, that uses a different type of signaling that is compatible with up to 4K 120. 
I doubt many games are really going to be driving this, but if you had bought, say, right. the Series X or a 3090 or a 3080, expecting to go 4K 120, through your AVR, at least at this point, it may very well be a no-go with no fix in sight. The simple solution for everyone out there really is that if you have a scenario like this, simply plug it directly into the TV from the source device, be it your game console or your graphics card that is supporting HDMI 2.1. Hmm. So much to contemplate there. You look at the list of who's affected by this, and it's pretty much everyone's favorite products when it comes to audio video receivers, especially with these brand new 2020 models. I think it was just a chicken and the egg scenario where they had these chipsets, but really no source devices to really hammer on them with for compatibility and making sure it is as hitch free as possible. But Again, I'm hoping that they'll be able to do something in terms of either the graphics card drivers or the game consoles themselves to make them compatible with these devices. Otherwise, this could turn into a mess. So much to look forward to. The bleeding edge. <laughs> the bleeding edge can be painful. Be aware. Speaking of bleeding edge, 10,000 pixel per inch OLED technology from Samsung and Stanford University, I believe. This is a pretty crazy article up on... Uh, Spectrum.ieee.org. Totally. It's pretty wild stuff. One of my favorite things going to some of the more tech-oriented trade shows where it's like display manufacturer products and things like that are the efforts you see being put toward making very small displays of either very bright or very high resolution. And in this case, this new display technology uses OLED films to emit light between two reflective layers, one made of a silver film, whereas the other is something they call a metasurface which if you look at it through a microscope, it looks like a little forest of little structures on there that are each spaced less than a wavelength apart. This turns out to be a really cool way you can manipulate a white light source into any flavor of red, blue, green uh, using this surface. Now, the cool thing about this particular display tech is its size. It is tiny and it packs up to 10,000 pixels per inch currently. Each subpixel of this display can reflect a specific color of light depending on the, uh, the spacing of that metasurface structure. So by this patterning solution, they can actually create pixel densities down to 10,000 pixels per inch. The primary use they are talking about for this display tech is in VR technology. So you can have literally a seamless, super high density pixel display right in front of your face that also provides very good tuning of its light output. So you can get excellent color purity, which is ideal for producing a wide color gamut. They're claiming with this style using OLED with the Metasurface technology for color creation is actually doing better than when it comes to micro LEDs when it comes to making very pure color. Micro LEDs currently are reaching that 10,000 to 30,000 pixel per inch range as well. My question really comes down to the longevity of something using a white organic light emitting diode material compared to something that is inorganic, say, with a micro LED technology. If this can be made cheaply and it can be made to be fairly robust, it could simply provide one of the best things to put in front of your eyeballs for a VR display in terms of just the, you aren't going to see a pixel structure with this. It's going to give you plenty of pixels to work with. And then it's really going to come down to how do you manage and drive that many pixels with technologies that can be worn on your head, so to speak. <laughs> but uh, clearly, uh, it, this is just another example of cool display tech. And there is so much effort going into trying to commercialize these next gen style display technologies. I've been really fascinated as well with the folks working in the micro LEDs 
side of things in terms of them being able to create super high luminance in addition to the high pixel per inch, where instead of having mm-hmm. like a lamp-based light source for a projector, maybe the LED can be so damn bright, it itself provides the light for a projection system. And I'm, you know, this is clearly aimed more at the VR side of things, being able to use OLED with a very thin metasurface structure to simply create sub-pixels of any color you desire in very high purity, they claim. For this particular technology, Samsung and Stanford are clearly highlighting the color purity of this tech compared to probably the longevity of what micro LED is currently capable of as well. But it's just something else out there. We'll see. It's going to be a great, I think, (laughs) next few years in terms of seeing like (laughs) every update coming to the next sets of VR headsets and what they can do. Yeah, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. Oh my goodness. I was laughing. Uh, uh, again, random titles. ZOMG, I forgot what a pain in the ass setting up a home theater is. The 4K transition has been interesting uh, because I wanted to be able to do full 4K HDR, um, at least put the foundation in place for Dolby Vision. I have Dolby, everything I need for Dolby Atmos. Uh, I ended up ordering a 300 foot spool of speaker cable so I would not have to worry about running out of speaker cable Excellent. Uh, pretty much for the rest of my life. <laughs> Not a bad investment. Um, my projection screen was okay. There's a new projector. There's a new AVR. Uh, I did a, I think I talked about this earlier this year, a 3700H from Denon. So I would have support for four overhead Atmos channels. And you pretty much have to spend about $1,000 to go from two channels to four channels overhead. A new 4K Apple TV. And at the moment, I'm upgrading all of my HDMI cables. You and I were talking about this uh, earlier before the show. In theory, I shouldn't need uh, upgraded cables, but right now the Apple TV won't do the upgraded uh, color space or the like. Four, I think it's doing 4.2.0, and it won't go to 4.2.2 unless uh, it's got better results off the HDMI cables. And there's some issues with the projector that I think is either a cable issue or a firmware issue. So I have certified 4K. 18 gigabit cables because i also realized i forgot about this earlier i think some of these cables i have may be 10 years old (laughs) that and when you start pushing the bandwidth it becomes more and more critical what's the longest cable you're dealing with in the pack about 25 feet although i may put the avr kind of underneath where the projector is mounted behind the seating area and then run the cables forward under the carpets or under the the rug because uh, i'm in a basement those aren't amplified cables or anything nope. assisted in any way no see that's nope. where i get a little I, nervous I, I, I getting like out a, to that distance i have a 25 foot cable and i have no idea where it came from you know <laughs> understood <laughs> it only comes down to it really when you start pushing the bandwidth either for mm-hmm. like you ran into trying to do max quality through the apple tv or you're trying to do 4K60 at 444 or let alone any higher refresh rate. That's right. That's where that's where you're pushing the very limits of what the tech is doing. So it's good just to if it's a question at all, put a new cable in there. Because it's affordable and easy and they come in a bunch of cool colors, at least from monoprice. So <laughs> at least from monoprice. <laughs> oh, I ended up getting some certified monoprice cables through um because I'm in the center of the country, not in California, I ended up getting some monoprice cables through Amazon because it was the fastest way to get them. Um, I have a hard time trusting cables beyond about 10 feet, two meters or so. Uh, three meters, I'm like, you know, 
maybe we should do fiber. Maybe we should do something amplified. Maybe we should do. I should. I should <laughs> clarify that you're talking about HDMI cables, not speaker cables true. or RCA oh, cables. True. 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 <laughs> Video. So from my beloved HDMI. That oh might be. Uh, I just heard a rumor that the new PlayStation Five actually includes a specific cable rated for the full 18 gigabit, 48 gigabit high speed potential that you could be putting out of that device just to probably head off some potential problems if people are using older cables with a brand new device that can do HDMI 2.1 and some pretty high bandwidth in terms of graphics or video. They're going to save themselves a lot of tech support issues by having that cable in the box. That's a big deal. Exactly. That's a smart deal. (laughs) It's worth it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I also had to buy furniture and relocate the screen. So I put the screen all the way against the back wall. Then I nice. realized that the center channel is going to need to go to go behind the screen. So I had to end up, you know, some Ikea runs to get furniture to match the other furniture that was downstairs and pull in the uh, screen forward like 14 inches. So the, the center channel would be behind the screen and not blocking the screen. You know, in many cases, actually sitting down and drawing things out with a pencil and paper would solve uh, some of these issues. Still working out some stuff uh, with the remotes and getting everything shut down properly, which I did, I'm pretty sure in one case is actually an eARC return on a cable issue. And there's been no calibration whatsoever. Out of the box, though, it looks really good in terms of the contrast levels and the brightness levels and stuff. So we'll figure that out over time. Uh, I was also laughing. Uh, let me read this note. Nice thing about upgrading every six plus years, what's on the screen is not an incremental change. It's not the blacks I pined for, but A, there are no 100-inch OLEDs, and B, I wasn't spending $8,000 on this projector. Exactly. Or $6,000 for that matter. Huge improvement in blacks. One thing that was interesting is, is I have an acoustic screen, which is designed to you know allow, ease the passage of audio through the screen. So it in some ways, it's more of a mesh than my previous screen, which had a pretty thick sprayed-on layer on it. With it being very close to the wall, the there was a huge amount of... I have a picture. I'll post it up on uh, patreon.com slash avxl. And you can see the image being broadcast on the white cinder block wall behind oh, the hilarious. screen. <laughs> yeah, paint that black. Uh, yes. Do you notice on woven fabric screens for acoustic transmission, do you notice them to mm-hmm. be less potential for hot spotting? Do you find it more diffuse or less diffuse than the last screen you were uh... in terms of the uh, in terms of the image on the screen? Right, exactly. I've simply found them to be very good at ambient light reflection in in the room. Yeah. They're a little more matte, and that woven yeah. pattern is really good for just well, uh, if you do I have mean, a, one. This is a bright projector; it can help. One, I'm in a basement. Um, good light. The uh, control. The biggest change. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there's you know, and I may end up filling in the last of those windows uh, and go full troll. But the Blacksmith's projector are so much more black than gray compared to my 1080p projector. The biggest challenge is when some of the lighting in the back of the room uh, on the wall on the far side of the basement is if you leave the lights on, you will see the reflection of the, you know, these 60 watt, 100 watt, probably 60 watt uh, bulbs or 75 watt bulbs on the screen. Uh, and that's been, but you turn those off and then of course the room darkens down and everything looks pretty good. I haven't noticed much in the way of hot spotting, but one, one of the things my son figured out is I thought there was a, like a dog hair on the lens of the projector. And my son realized it was the cable that was going from the AVR up behind the projection screen and back across the room that the reflection was so bright coming off that white wall that it was highlighting the black cable that was hanging loose back there and and looking particularly trashy even by my standards. 
can of paint or some duvetine, something. Put something yeah, behind that I think it's, I think there's going to be some <laughs> some duvetine back there because uh, it's it's you know cinder block walls have a, what amounts to a ton of diffusion on one side and some space and diffusion on the other. So acoustically, it's not too bad. But I do want to get that wall darker back there, and I want to uh, I want to get a little bit of absorption behind those speakers. And I'll talk about absorption next week because. Uh, there's uh, a book I picked up and some online information we can talk about on creating your own uh, absorption and diffusion. What was the model of the projector you picked up? Epson UB5050. Oh, oh, nice. Or a 5050 UB, pardon me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of the JVCs and Sonys have some significantly more spectacular performance, especially in the blacks, and they're true 4K instead of 4K. But one, I can't see any smearing issues, or, or I, I don't see any motion issues or smearing issues or anything with the with the pixel shifting technology that creates the 4K from this 1080p sensor. Uh, and I haven't since the first time I saw it. That's so nice. Uh, and two, uh, it was going to cost me more than twice as much to get you know sort of the next step up in projector was was upwards of six thousand dollars oh no that's a good projector that's one of my favorites yeah, i'm pretty happy with it i'm pretty happy with it uh speaking of projectors epson has a slate of new projectors that came out uh, earlier uh, uh or i should say uh, in october the home cinema 880 1080 the 2200 and the 2250 they also have the epson epic vision ultra ls 300 and the mini ef12 and ef11 release this is kind of a, a back to roots movement for epson they're they're doing a ton of sub one thousand dollar projectors i think the ls 300s two thousand three thousand dollars with a 100 inch screen four thousand dollars with a 120 inch screen and part of me was like that's kind of spendy for those screen sizes and and epson was like a lot of people want uh projectors but don't want to deal with trying to figure out how to deal with the screens and stuff so they're they're offering it uh as a uh, complete unit 3600 lumens hdr10 support it is a 1080p projector though but it will accept a 4k signal uh which is something we haven't seen it's something i i think a lot of people have kind of been pining for because 4k is not nearly as dramatic as uh hdr is in terms of changing the awesomeness if you will of the image um to use highly non-scientific terms but uh that's an incredibly bright projector it's got a built-in uh, yamaha help them design a 2.1 quote audiophile unquote speaker they have android tv built into the motherboard so the projector functions will actually be accessible from the android info uh, android interface built into that which i thought was pretty slick and there's like a microphone input for google home if you are going for the maximum inexperience of the home theater truly craziness, uh, this may not be your projector, but if you live in a home where you do things like use Google Home, well, you can talk to Google Home and trigger their projector, right? It's got Android built into the interface. Uh, I should also point out this is a short throw laser projector. When I acknowledge that it's a short throw laser projector, $2,000 for the base, $3,000 with that 100-inch screen starts to make the price look a little less crazy. It's an interesting product. Curious to see how it's going to do. This is 2020 when we haven't seen anything firsthand. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they generally do pretty good on their uh, projectors over there at Epson. So it's something to think about. Which one is laser-based? The Epic Vision LS300 streaming oh. projector. Interesting. Still, yeah. though, I think for like the 2200 and the 2250, those are yeah. terrific values for what you get. I yeah. mean, man, if you have to keep the budget under $1,000, those would be on short lists for setting up a good home theater experience. 
I would agree with that one. It's an interesting product. Full HD, and they're telling me it does, uh, it does HDR10. That's in my notes. I keep kind of looking at that and blinking because we've been talking about how nice that would be for a long time. I think compatibility is pretty easy to do. It's when it comes down to doing an effective tone mapping for the particular light output of a projector. It's just nice if it has a few presets that are already baked right. in where you can just uh, pick the one that looks best to your eye and set it and forget it kind of thing if it can't do it automatically. At this price, I am not expecting that. <laughs> but, right. you know, it's something to consider. Uh, for any projector, I always recommend, especially if you have mm -hmm. your eye, is like, I have found the one. Do check out <laughs> its projection calculator right from the manufacturer's website and have right. a very good understanding of the range it'll work at for the particular screen size you're aiming for. Mm -hmm. Nothing's worse than getting a projector and realizing like, oh, I can't put the projector where I want it. It has to go within this X to Y range of distances from the screen in order to look its best or in a particular yeah. place. It's just good to have that in yeah. mind when you're shopping and to compare that. These are really interesting projectors, right? The 2215 and 2200, they're, they're ISO 21118 uh, rated at 2700 lumens. The brightness is pretty impressive. Um, the 2250, which is the more expensive of the two, they're rating it as a 60,000 to one versus a 35,000 to one on dynamic contrast. They both take 4K signals. They both do 21 by nine aspect ratio. They have image enhancements. They've, uh, the 2250 has like a 1.6 X zoom and a pretty serious vertical lens shift, like 45, 50%, maybe 60%. The 2200 is a 1.2 X zoom. It doesn't have lens shift. So they, they definitely, for the additional money, or the the more expensive projector, you get some pretty nice features, you know. And this is that image contrast too jumps up nicely. Yeah. I, it'd be so hugely. It would be great to put those side by side and see if yeah how big of a difference that really makes because they are doubling yeah. the number from one projector yeah. to the next. You're getting some useful features in there for the additional money. I mean, we're talking about a hundred bucks. Like, I think in the depending on your installation situation, a hundred bucks is worth it just for the lens shift. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, you know, the 1080 and the 880 are uh, are crazy bright, like 3,400 and 3,300 lumens uh, with a significantly lower contrast. They're rated at 16,000 to one. So these are super bright. 1080 has two HDMI ports and the 880 has one HDMI port uh, and a fixed lens. I think it's a 1.2x zoom on the 1080. There's also a portable business projector, the VS. 260, but I'm not going to talk about that because we don't really do a whole lot of business projector stuff. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, they're pretty slick. The Epic Vision stuff is kind of fascinating too. We originally saw kind of the idea behind this about a thousand years ago, it seems like, uh, at CES. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> it's been announced. I don't think any available on the street, but this is like a the EF11, the EF12 are... Uh, the Epic Vision uh, lineup. EF12 is is kind of a crazy little box. Um, and they're talking about, you know, and the idea is everybody's coming over to watch the big game. So you put the EF12 or the EF11 on the table in front of everybody. Uh, it's a thousand Nancy Lumens. It's 1910 by, or 1920 by 1080. It's, you know, standard 1080p, 10-bit color processing, um, you know, 720p, 1080i, 1080p, 60 a laser phosphor lamp, 20,000 hours. You get 100 inches if the projector lens is seven feet, three inches from the wall or the screen. You know, it weighs five pounds. It's 22 decibels in eco mode. It's got a couple of five watt speakers built into it. So the idea is like, this is your party projector. Totally. This is your enthusiast projector. 
EF11 is a little bit less expensive. It's like $799. Again, 1,000 Nancy Lumens, 1920 by 10, 10, I keep wanting to say 1040. Um, <laughs> you know, again, with a laser phosphor lamp rated for 20,000 uh, hours, but it, you know, has uh, tinier, less effective speakers, less to awesome. And I also believe it does not have the Android TV built in. Hey. Basically, the EF11, you attach your, your streaming stick to it or your exactly. Apple TV to it. It's like, so, you know, they're Epson's gunning for bear this holiday season, and they're, again, trying to make sure there are lots of entry-level options for people who are delighted with the idea of, you know, watching the blues here in St. Louis on a big-ass wall, pardon my language, uh, without spending big-ass money. <laughs> that or for, you know, the occasional time you need to do a little projection against the side of the house for either a theatrical effect or, or an outdoor movie. It's good to have. We love outdoor movies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. David needs a new Blu-ray player. He emailed ask at avxl.com. I was a big fan of the Oppo disc players while the company existed. My current player is the BDP-203, which plays 4K discs as well as SACD. The player is showing its age a bit, and I'm wondering what would be a good replacement at this point. Not having built-in streaming isn't a killer, but full 4K colors, etc. would certainly be wanted. Having a player that could easily be made region agnostic would be cool, but I understand you're not wanting to go there. Thanks, David, uh, first thought, uh, we don't care about streaming being built in either, but you're probably going to get it whether you want it or not, because, you know, who doesn't want to take the long Netflix dollar to put the Netflix button on the remote control that nobody wants to use? Pound, bitter consumer. Uh, <laughs> and we'll go region agnostic. I just don't think either of us has any current experience with finding region agnostic uh, Blu-ray players or 4K Blu-ray HDR players, but if you have a recommendation, uh, because you like to watch a lot of region-specific movies that are not specific to the region you're in, do us a favor, email us, ask at avxl.com, and we'll share that. I do have experience with buttons on remotes that suddenly trigger apps you don't mean to launch. <laughs> My TV is exceptional Pounds, at bitter that. consumer. <laughs> Without fail. It's like you so much as barely graze one of the, the Hulu button or the, the Netflix button, and suddenly the TV comes on and it's like, hey, I'm ready to go. <laughs> It's like, I didn't, I didn't so do annoying. anything. Damn it. Anyway, when it comes to disc players, I own a Sony X700 and it is my pick for just a great value yeah. and the performance. And it's compatible with all the disc formats, including Dolby Vision, uh, HDR, of course, 4K output. Right. It even has solid SACD support built in. I think most Sony disc players do by default, maybe, at least in the Blu-ray player realm. It even claims to have SACD multi-channel support. So if you have those discs, you know, I have no other reason to own an SACD, but I might just buy one to simply put in the disc player I have. Otherwise, it's not a very fancy player. They make, I think, higher end versions if you want something that has a little more weight to it. But otherwise, right. in terms of the feature support, that covers you for CD, DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, and discs, regardless of what HDR format they're in. I do love those Panasonic 4K Blu-ray players with the HDR yeah. optimizer function built in. But if you want Dolby Vision support in that player series, you have to step up to about a $500 player. And their HDR optimizer functionality is really ideal for more along the lines of projectors or maybe a lesser display. I wouldn't imagine pairing with a player like that. Right. I would stick with the Sony player. It's, I think, at less than 150 bucks. Yeah. X700, it works great. It does the playback I need. 
provides the data on screen if you want to nerd out a little bit. And I'm still kind of yeah. wondering what the hell the consoles are doing. I believe <laughs> Xbox Series X doesn't support 4K HDR Blu-ray playback, at least Dolby Vision. I, I won't even get into that now. I'll, I'll think about that some more. Yeah. Where I want to go from there. It's pretty crazy. When you look at Chris Hynonen over at Wirecutter did a nice write-up on the, on the best 4K Blu-ray player. One of the things he points out, if you want like a Dolby Vision capable Blu-ray player, at the time they did the review, uh, Panasonic's DP UB820 was like $800 on Amazon, and you know, and it's now currently about $500. It was uh, on Amazon, and I think it's supposed to be $400 on uh, at Best Buy if it's still in stock at Best Buy. You know, which to me was like. Gah, that's a lot of money because you you know you can buy a Blu-ray player for uh, a standard Blu-ray player that doesn't have 4K playback for like 50 bucks. True that. The DPUB 420 that optimizes HDR is kind of fantastic. It's a cool niche function, but yeah. most people don't need it, and you can save a hell of a lot of money going with the Sony player, and it works great. Yeah, integrates nicely. For me, it's most important going forward to have a disc player that supports HDR10 and Dolby Vision. Right. I, I really want that in the player. And the fact that it supports SAT CD is great, but yeah. that's not the killer feature for me. It's more about getting my TV all of the video formats it can support. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of which, no, I also it's... picked up a new, uh, I have to go pick this up today, but I have one of the new Roku Ultras in that has built oh, in nice. Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision, and I'll be... Probably playing with that in the next couple hours, too. So <laughs> that may become my, uh, I may have to retire the regular Ultra <laughs> to the living room. <laughs> yeah, three cheers for uh, for Sony's UBP X700 supporting Vision and HDR10 for significantly less money. I've had that sucker for at least a year now with no problems. Plays every disc I throw at it. I think when it first came out, the Dolby Vision playback functionality wasn't fully baked. Right. But that is now. I, at least I haven't had any problems with the various DV titles I've thrown at it. Uh, sadly, I do not have... Projectors do not support Dolby Vision at this point. I may, however, be looking at a hack for that, which we will discuss uh, later this year. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> Gotta be something. Yeah, well, you know, the question is, is whether or not the hack is worth the pain and the cost, but that's always a... Uh, it's always a decision to be reflected upon later in the day. Um, <laughs> speaking of Blu-ray players, if you're kind of curious what's out there, uh, there is a crazy list on Blu-ray.com, the filtered DV list of titles released by studio. And it, uh, I want to say this started back in like 2016 and is probably several thousand pages by now in terms of the comments. Uh, well, 101 plus. All of the Dolby Vision titles in one list. Yes. Vincentric, the power member who started this, writes, quote, work in progress, information regarding which titles use MEL, 10-bit minimal enhancement layer, or FEL, a 12-bit full enhancement layer, will now be added next to the release year. What the heck exactly are MEL and FEL? Here's a post that gathers up a lot of nice info with a link there. And uh, so cool. it's, it's pretty slick because they also have, have generalized um, uh, foreign members kind of figure out that flat bit rates of two megabit per second or less usually equates to mel i'm quoting here and those with a higher variable bit rate over two megabits per second equals fell and they actually were able to look uh you know they have screen caps of different stuffs in there um you know so it's it's a giant list of what's out there and 
kind of how much bandwidth they're throwing at it. So it looks like my John Wick Chapter Three disc is FEL. <laughs> so I will have to put that to the test tonight. Mix that with some Mandalorian. I got to get my Mandalorian fix on first, though. <laughs> really, it's all about me watching. Uh, well, no, that's that's Atmos. Hold on a second. I, I like this list, though. At least it gives you a good quick fix as to what Dolby Vision titles are out there. If if you're rolling with a Dolby Vision yeah. compatible TV and player and you want the there's a lot of them ultimate in quality. Oh, Casino Royale. Is it Fell or Mel? Mel. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I suppose it doesn't need that much. In any case, it's a tremendous list of movies. Uh, if you want a tremendous list of movies to look at uh, to provide you with the eye candy. We got a listener email, uh, and I apologize. I don't have it here in the script, uh, but I asked if we can put the show on Spotify, and it is done. It should be there now. Uh, let us know if it isn't. It appeared I to work. I put the link in the show notes, but it's like a 230,000-character link. But uh, search I, for A-V-E-X-C-E-L. Oops, sorry. I was going to say. you verified? Check out the AVXL website. There is a link right there on the homepage. Nice. I put that right front and center. Listen there's somewhere else you want to see us on Spotify. Let us know. We're there for you. I Hell love yeah. Spotify. I think I called out for some snark in the uh, opening of the show about uh, Amazon Music HD. I'm still playing around with a uh, AudioQuest Dragonfly because the AudioQuest Dragonfly makes it very, very easy to see what the bitrate of the music is you're streaming. And it's been a little frustrating because some DACs I have plugged in, Amazon Music has not recognized the streaming capabilities of the DAC. Oh. I'm not so much frustrated with like HD audio or, or you know, getting all up in arms about HD audio. Although, as I mentioned when we talked about this a couple episodes ago, in the strange and wondrous world of, of Amazon, what we normally think of as HD audio is a lossless audio. They label you know, sort of a CD quality audio as HD, and then their higher bitrate stuff is uh, ultra HD, which I find incredibly annoying, uh, but I would. They are pretty good at like telling you what the track quality is in the codec. For example, I just clicked on... I'm not going to get too far into this because they literally just released a new version of the software, but you know, when I click on this... Uh, this dashboard confessional track. It's like 24 bit, 48 kilohertz, uh, and the codec is black. I've been in some situations where I, f where I feel like the audio is being improperly sampled, uh, or there are some issues about how the audio is routed in terms of that it has been kind of, um, you know, instead of being a lossless flack, it's kind of the crunchiness I associate with really irritating MP3s. And I will point out that, for example, I am thoroughly satisfied with Spotify, the premium, you know, which is lossless, but is really, really good. Um, Super convenient. You know, I, I often question the advantages of, quote, HD, unquote, audio. I feel like Amazon's kind of struggling with the implementation of this software, uh, and I would like them to struggle faster because it took them forever to do... Um, for example, an exclusive mode where, uh, you know, that app has control over your audio device. So you wouldn't, for example, have notifications from Windows blowing up your eardrums while you were listening to a particularly soft section of, of music, uh, which I find incredibly annoying. Uh, and that took them, uh, you know, the better part of a year to implement. But I'm going to experiment with this and sit down with my yellow legal pad in my ferocious notes and see if I can kind of track down what it's doing. Uh, there's less technical information about this than I would like, but uh, I will see what I can find out. And I will... Uh, test out this latest update to the software and talk more about this tomorrow in no small part because 
it is uh, really a good price for a large music catalog. And I'm a big fan of Koba's. Title, I think, is kind of worn out its welcome in my life. Uh, but that is such the standard in the audiophile community. But uh, we'll talk about that sometime next week. If you're enjoying the show, do us a favor, uh, go to patreon.com slash avxl. If we don't do four episodes, we aren't going to charge you, and we will have a Hangout uh, date published for this month shortly. We'll keep you posted on when that is, and we will put that up on patreon.com slash avxl. But if you got a couple bucks or, or more, uh, you can contribute to the show, help us keep the show flowing, and uh, get a chance to hang out with us at the higher support levels so we appreciate that if you've never heard this before this is avxl i'm patrick norton he's robert heron and we talk about home theater and home audio and headphones and all the stuff that makes us really excited by the way just found out emotiva has a new headphone release yes so i'm going to see if i can get a set of those in for review and uh, we will talk about those as soon as we can also saw an ad for something from one more too they had uh, a new budget-friendly true wireless headphone Those are from Piston, and they are true wireless. And I, again, will also let you know as soon as I hear back, because I'm uh, hoping to get some of those in. I'm curious to hear what those sound like. Um, Mini, mini, mini wireless in-ear options right now. And mini, mini, mini of them sound atrocious. (laughs) Piston Piston has a good rep. They're like, I, I, my understanding is Piston's kind of the company that is the manufacturer and sort of mothership for one more. I may have that wrong. And if I do, I'm sure uh, they will yell and tell me about it, but, uh, so much to, uh, to examine and get joyful about. I have some new software to test out for calibration. Some new features added to a recent update for the Absolutely wonderful Calaman software from Portrait Displays. Well, I'm going to start yanking cable and get my Atmos speakers set up so I can wax joyful on that next week. Very cool. I have to bust out my X700 Sony disc player so I can actually have some uh, fun with that today as well. I have still a few discs I've yet to watch and get caught up before I dive into the Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Yes. Watch all your John Wick. <laughs> yes. If you thought Gun Fu was amazing, wait until you see Dog Fu Dog in John Wick 3. That's all I'm going to say. Excellent. <laughs> I've been putting that one off knowing it's going to be a good ride. So I'm it's looking forward unhinged. to it. All right. With that, ladies and gentlemen, do us a favor, avxl.com, patreon.com, says avxl, keep listening, tell your friends, send us email with your questions or your thoughts, ask at avxl.com. I'm Patrick Dorton. I am Robert Heron. And we'll see you next week on AVXL.